We are joined on the morning brief by Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives. He's now with the Ontario Real Estate Association. A happy Valentine's, Tim Hudak. To you too, sweetheart. Happy Valentine's Day right back. We Thank have you. a couple of people via text this morning asking if you want to run for mayor of Toronto. <laughs> Certainly not coming from family. Oh, that's that's nice that somebody would suggest that. I, I did my uh, my twenty one year sentence, uh, John, in, in public life. That's more than you get for second degree murder. So I, I've done my time. <laughs> okay. Uh, meanwhile, John Tory has delayed his departure, and it just seems a little strange if what happened is disqualifying that he sticks around until he can pass his budget and then force council to swallow it. Yeah, but I can swallow that. I really, look, the whole thing is just so lamentable. The guy was yeah. uh, uh, hardwired to be uh, mayor. He's he's off to a good start in his third term, and uh, you know he's falling on his uh, sort of his own creation here. But I I, I think the uh, significant number of, um, of voters in Toronto, John. Uh, would say, look, at least finish this job. I think a lot would vote for him uh, again, you know, quite frankly. Th- this is a budget that increases investment in police, increases investment in security on the uh, TTC. It's going to have, it's very aggressive when it comes to getting more housing built that average people can actually afford. Uh, and, and I'm all for it. And I, you know, I'd like to see the mayor stay out longer, but at the very least, get this budget done. Because I, I do have fear of, of the left, the aggressive left that I fear would cut the police budget would experiment in, you know, expanding the homelessness crisis we have in our province and in drug problems. I really worry about what comes to City Hall next. So, to John Tory, carry on. It's going to be an interesting floor fight. I'm certainly going to go to Toronto City Hall to watch it firsthand on Wednesday. Um, meanwhile, I'm sure, having been the leader of the opposition at Queen's Park, you're in a position to explain the significance of the deal yesterday. The premiers all agreeing to this new injection of funding from Ottawa. Um, I thought they were going to dig in, and I guess Ottawa saying this is our final offer. It ain't getting any better than this. They finally decided to take what they could. Yeah, because they need the immediate injection of funds. I, I don't see this as much of a, of a story. I know that was a focus of a lot of media, but um, I, I guess I get a little jaundice to this. This is a if, if teachers strikes John are about a three year cycle uh, in the province of Ontario. This is in about a four or five year cycle at a at a national level, where the provinces get together and they go to Ottawa and ask for more health funding. There's a bit of a, a show back and forth, and then eventually they settle, and we carry on for a few more years. But you know, in reality, this is. $46.2 billion sounds like a lot of money, right? But that's over 10 years. And so $4.6 billion a year, you take Ontario share, save 40% of that, $1.6 billion. That, that is actually slightly more than a 2% bump in our health care budget. Will, will it help hire more doctors? Will it help improve our long-term care homes? Sure, it's a step in the right direction, but significant change, John, I, I don't see that. I mean, this reflects a fiscal challenge in Canada. It's been around, you know, since World War II, where the provinces have the programs that demand the most and increase funding, health care, education, social services. The federal government has greater taxing authority, more revenue coming in. This fiscal imbalance will be around a long time. But quite frankly, between you and me and our news talk listener friends, mm-hmm. we're not going to solve this issue to actually have a competition in our health care system where actually places, uh, institutions will look to treat patients and bring them in rather than see them as a cost, greater private sector delivery, then ultimately we will have in Canada a parallel private system like most other countries in the world do. Okay. Um, The Emergencies Act, a year ago today, I don't know if there's anything to add necessarily to the discussion. For some people, this is the day that lives in infamy. I think for the rest of Canadians, it's like, oh, good. Okay. They did what they had to do to get rid of this protest. 
Yeah, I, I think more of the latter than the former. It's man, it seems like more than a year ago, yeah, though, I right? Know. Like it's hardly that's just been been a year. But I, you know, I I, I gotta I guess I'm sort of in the middle where most Canadians are. I think initially that uh, that Ken Voy did have some protests because people were tired of the lockdowns that were too harsh and lasted too long. They exhausted with some stupid moves or 15 minutes of fame and patience was there and people wanted them cleared out. I think this will live as a condemnation of the Ottawa police that made the Keystone cops look good. Uh, terrible leadership in the city of, uh, of Ottawa. And I think ultimately, too, the Rolo Commission investigating the use of the Emergencies Act will largely vindicate the Trudeau government for bringing that power in and ended up dispersing the protests. It'll be part of our past. It'll fade. A couple of interesting stories with an economic angle. So you're the perfect guy. Uh, we were talking with an economist from the UK before the news at six and his theory, which he's still working on, but effectively saying when it comes to COVID and economic crisis, rich countries throw everything they've got and have worse outcomes than poor countries because poor countries just have to improvise and keep moving. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, and I think it also reflects that the the power that uh, that average citizens and various groups have in wealthier countries. Poor countries tend to be more uh, rural. They tend to have younger populations as well because people don't live as long in poor countries, and therefore two indicators of COVID would say that on average they would do better. I think this reflects a, a larger issue. When, when you get wealthier, you have you know more entrenched interests that will resist change. They'll have the financing to resist that, that change. The average citizen counts for a lot more in richer countries because they are empowered. They actually can go out and vote. They can be active and they will defend their interests. That's why we spend so much more money in support programs. You've seen countries frankly decline because they got scaloric. I mean, the Roman Empire, the classic example, Japan and the UK in the last century slowed down quite a bit. All that being said, John Moore, I'd rather be richer than poor. Okay. And what do you think about this business of Canadian tire money becoming a collectible? So, for example, there is, what was the value of it? There was a $2 Canadian tire bill from 1989 that recently was auctioned for $3,000. And I don't know, does anybody still have the sheaves of these um, pieces of paper in their bureau? I wish I did. I um, immediately, uh, when I saw the story, had uh, had flashbacks of my dad's Chevy, and uh, in the glove box he had a, uh, a a clear envelope that was packed full of Canadian tire money. He kept it right there in the car, got it from the gas station, what have you, and kept it in there. And I don't know by the time my dad passed if he had spent that money or was still buried right in, in my my parents' belongings somewhere to go dig it all out. Uh, I had one one gentleman who was actually the CFO of my local PC riding association that boasted boasted he saved up enough Canadian Tire money to actually go and blow sorry go and buy a snowblower at Canadian Tire all with Canadian Tire cash and some of it was so old they actually had to bring back an old manager to verify that was actually Sandy McTire on the bill uh, and uh, and it accounted also made me think of when I dug up my old hockey cards when this was a bit of a, a bubble back in the day rescued them from my parents attic mm-hmm. looked at them for a while I said, wow, I got some good ones, and then forgot about it. Now they rest, you know, quietly in my own attic uh, back at home. I want to ask one question, though, John. Yep. Sandy McTire, I'm going to ask Debbie this because she has Scott background, the guy in the bill. Is that a Scottish stereotype? And if so, are Scots mad at that, or do they take pride in Scotty McTire? I don't know. Now I'm going to have to look it up because I can conjure it in my head, but I couldn't, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what it looked like. But I'm sure everything is inappropriate in our era. 
I think the Scots will actually take pride in Sandy McTire and call for him back. But it does it does show, right, when these trends hit, when there's nostalgia like my old, you know, Gretzky rookie card, these things can be of value for a short term. My usual gut on this is sell them now because I think that bubble does burst. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Have a great day.